Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Deborah Fine. She's a speaker, author, and trainer. Once an engineer, she now works with Fortune 500 companies, professional groups, and universities, talking about conversation skills for business events and client meetings. I'm really interested to learn more about her transition from engineer to speaker, the motivation for writing her books, and how she came to her speaking topics. Welcome to Teach the Geek interviews, Deborah. Thank you, Neil. It's great to be on Teach the Geek. I just, I never call myself a geek. It sounds a lot better than what I do refer to myself <laughs> during my programs as a dork. So I should try geek on for size. I'm pretty familiar with it. But I think, I think that because of my generation, we use the word dork. And that's what I was. And I, that was the inspiration for what I do today is that I felt like people, there were so many people born with the gift of gab and I clearly was not. I, I chose engineering for two reasons. One was that I was great at math and you know there were two paths for me. One was teaching and one was engineering and I chose engineering. And the other, so I just figured that's okay. You know, I'm great at math. That's why I wasn't born with the gift of gab and that's all good. I am whoever I am. Right. But um, I came to learn that those people that not necessarily the gabby ones, but the more charismatic ones or the likable people seem to be noticed or recognized. Or oftentimes I would work side by side with someone who had the same academic credentials I do and the same professional ability I did and I would witness them being promoted. And I was this quiet girl who always was prepared to give you an answer if you asked me a question. And I got straight A's and I, it just was, it was really deflating. That is not, it took me years till I realized it had nothing to do with engineering, that my life was so shallow because I was so introverted and shy which are two different things um, in that friendships and a sense of community and um, just being part of the world out there, having friends, all those things that I, I wanted. So um, I, I, I tackled this for myself, very uh, engineer-like. I would watch people like yourself or others at, at not in engineering, but not out in the real world at a party, at an event, or back to school, something. And I would sort of watch them and I would try to mimic them without with still being myself. But what were they saying? How were they doing it? What was their body language? And ultimately I thought, you know, maybe I'm not the only one. I really had thought for most of my life, I was the only dork out there that just didn't have it, didn't have whatever this magic is. So I did a lot of research for an entire year actually on conversation skills. What are people doing that are, are that that is successful? How do you launch conversations? How do you uh, recognize conversation killers. Uh, how do you exit a conversation without saying, Neil, gotta go, gotta call the babysitter. And five minutes later, you find out from another colleague that my kids are grown and in college. So 
So that really launched um, a career. And, and I also learned something really special besides the fact that I wasn't alone. I learned that it wasn't just engineers. You know, we get labeled in this stereotype, Neil, that we're these awkward, dorky, or you call it geeky people. But the truth of the matter is what I've learned and I believe why my business is so successful is because there's bankers, there's fourth grade teachers, there's, uh, <clears throat> there's IT professionals, there's uh, actually relationship development people who weren't born with the gift of gab, or they have to sit with people like me who are dorks and they want some skills, some icebreakers, some ways to keep the conversation going. So uh, I, I just took the, our engineering skills and applied it sort of labeling, how are they doing that and created a business, teaching people conversation skills and networking skills as well. So you'd mentioned that you went into engineering because of because you were great in math and it was either engineering or, or teaching and you chose engineering. Once you finished engineering school, what type of work did you end up doing? I was in civil engineering. Um, I did roads and that type of thing. I lasted a year almost. At first, you know, there's there's a lot of challenges back in the, the day. And I still think they're out there. I work a lot in the construction world and the electrical world <clears throat> offering uh, programs. And um, there's not a lot of women out there, Neil. And it's, so if, you, if I thought I was isolated anyways, you compound that with working in a world where everybody's different than you. Uh, and certainly, and no reflection on men in any way. It was just as much my fault as anybody's, but nobody came up to me during the coffee break and said, you know, I've never met you before. We've never talked outside of a project. Tell me about you. I mean, nor did I walk up to them and do that either. So there's, there's no blame here, uh, but uh, you know, I did have the women's room to myself. So that was a real bonus, but um, otherwise uh, it, it was, it, so, so I just hated it. I don't know how else to describe my, uh, my choices. And so I did other things as far as career wise. And I actually uh, ended up marrying and staying at home with my kids, which was a choice that I made to stay at home with the kids. And then um, what, there, was a, a, there was a crisis in my life. And I ultimately, the kids and I were on our own and I launched this business out of nowhere. I mean, I didn't know it was gonna be what it is today. I, I had no uh, strategy or picture, but I just had this idea and it, it certainly took care of us. So it's been a great ride. You'd mentioned that when you worked in engineering, that the, the male engineers weren't as, I guess, friendly and, and just coming up to you and asking you, you know, just outside of projects about, you know, more about you, but you didn't do the same yourself. If right. that had happened, if the, if those male engineers had been a bit more friendly towards you, do you think your experience in engineering would have been different and you would have stayed in it? I, I would, I would think so. And friendly is an unfair word. I think it's more that if they had cultivated like a, re a business relationship. Um, mentoring it would be a word that I'd throw in there. Um, if, if I had not felt so, un I was uncomfortable anyways, and it just compounded. So yes, and I mean, that's sort of the skills I teach today when I do land, whether it be a Google or, or PCL construction is, how do you engage the people that work for you, the stakeholders, with women or men or any person as a leader? or an emerging leader, how do you include them in, in conversation outside of the business at hand so that there's rapport built? And I think that um, would have cultivated my loyalty and more interest in furthering my career in engineering, but I also think it would, for anybody, 
even if, I mean, even if you're not an introvert, it would be nice for um, a C-level or a director of, or a project manager to actually say to you, so, you know, what keeps you busy outside of your work? <laughs> While they're waiting for the meeting to begin, whether it be Zoom or in person. So what do you think, Neil? I mean, would it have made a difference for you in your career if people had reached out more or, or did they reach out and cultivated that kind of connection with you? A oh, professional one. I mean, I, I mean, personally, I never had that, that issue really. I mean, I, I ended up doing other things just because that's what I wanted to do. It had nothing really to do with the, the job that I was doing at the time. I just, I wanted to work on things I wanted to work on. So that's, that's kind of what I, how I do things I do now. It's interesting how you mentioned though at, at the at the at the various job at the jobs you had that the if mentorship had been had been more prevalent then perhaps you would have ended up staying in there and then you and then you end up leaving and then becoming a you know, stay-at-home mother but eventually you start your own thing again or you start your own thing was it always your idea to to start your own business or did you ever consider going back and working as an engineer? I, I considered both and I I think. Uh, that's just a personal thing. What happened because I was basically became a single mom with two little kids. I, I wanted, I, I, I tried to go back into that eight to five or eight to six or whatever that world is. And it was at that moment, it was, it was way beyond me. It was too overwhelming. I don't have family where I live and I couldn't figure out daycare or I just couldn't. So I had to find a way to be, um, to have some freedom. And so that I think truthfully, it wasn't a vision. It was more like a practicality of how do I take care of these kids and, and not go back into that corporate world where every moment is, is taken. And I didn't, and, and the kids had never been in daycare, but that's, you know, I mean, a lot of the universe came to play where I am, where I am today with this business. It's, it's, it was, I, I wasn't a lot, it wasn't a logical, like, oh, I think I'll, I'm entrepreneurial and I'll start a business and I'll, and there's a need here. It all worked out that way, but that's not, um, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I sort of just went with my gut out of pure need. Uh, and oftentimes I mentor a lot of people being who want to be professional speakers, no matter what their topic is, no matter what their background is. And they can be far more skilled than I am on a platform or a podium. I mean, some people may be, some people may not be. I'm, I've been at it now 26 years on a on, at a podium, I'm pretty funny and engaging and entertaining, but, but I always say the way to make a successful business of any kind, whether it be this one that I'm in or another one, selling a book, doing anything is you need to know how to sell and market yourself, whether it be your podcast, whether it be a, um, a product, uh, a service, a restaurant. If you don't know, if you don't learn how to hustle and sell, and I got lucky, I hustled and sold this business. And I think that's why I was successful. And it, when I mentor people, I say, you have to, for me, I didn't have the skills to sell. What I had was a desperation for money because we were in such a bad place, myself and these two kids for money that you couldn't hurt me by saying no to me. I would just ask the next person. So that's a great place to be in actually. When you don't need money, it's hard to hustle. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a interesting way to look at it for sure. I mean, when you started your business and you're focusing on conversation and networking skills, was that always the, when you decided to start a business, was that the, the, the plan to, to focus on that? Or did you go through other ideas of, of potential businesses to, to start? And how did you come, up, come to, to turn, come to con conversation and networking skills? 
uh, two reasons I came to it. One is that I couldn't, didn't know how to do it. I, and so that was a real, I knew that I hadn't known how to do it. I knew that I had learned how to do it. I mean, it wasn't that I just observed the world and thought, well, there's a lot of people out there that don't know how to do this. I think I'll teach them. I mean, that, that's a nice approach, but that wasn't, my approach was, how did I learn to do this? And what am I doing that's working? How, I made friends. I built a network. What, what exactly am I doing when I go to a business networking opportunity? Uh, so that that was one reason. And, and I, 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 I focused on this topic was because I had learned how to do it. And I saw I saw the importance of it. I had a passion for it. Um, the other reason is just another pure luck thing is that I I had seen a little advertisement. I live in Denver. Uh, in a, it's still around today, this uh, lifelong learning <clears throat> programming. It's called Colorado Free University. It's not free. I mean, they have the learning annex in New York and LA. Anybody that's familiar with lifelong learning programs all over the country, in Minneapolis, wherever. So I would happen to look at this catalog. I was just leafing through waiting to pick up one of my kids. And I saw that they were looking for teachers. And they had topics like auto mechanics, Italian cuisine, small talk. I mean, I, you know, it was just like, I was shocked. Small talk. Somebody wants to, they want a teacher to teach small talk. I mean, I still didn't realize that there were so many other people that wanted this skill. I thought it was just me that was bad at it. And I looked at that and thought, there's, somebody wants to learn how to do that. I learned how to do that. Maybe I could teach that. Now, by then I'm by myself with two kids and I need to find ways to earn money without going back into that corporate role. And I see this and you can do it at night. You know, people take classes from 6 to 8.30 at night. So I go in and I audition, which I was like, you Neil, when you described to me before our, our, the, the recording began, so how did, you know, what prompted you to get into podcasting? Well, you, you ultimately, because you, you weren't a skilled presenter, but you wanted to be a skilled presenter. So you refined your skills. <clears throat> so I audition for this, to teach a class, never having spoken in public before, never having stood up and presented even a project to more than like two people. And I didn't have to stand up. I'd just sit across from you. I never had to stand up. I was so nervous. You have no idea. Anyways, I did my research. I did 10 minutes at the library. I mean, I, I spent hours at the library, 10 minutes on small talk in front of a few people, they, the, the people that hired there, and they hired me to teach small talk. And what I learned later is they would have hired anybody that could speak English sort of well. I mean, I was so, you know, the perfection mode, the straight A mode was came into play. I didn't realize they would have hired anybody. They just, they had had a lot of people requesting this topic. So I get hired to do it like once a month at night. I can get babysitters for my kids. I'm earning 50 bucks, 60 bucks. And the class is growing each month. It's like, six people, then 13 people, then 33 people. And, and it was during that year, it took about nine months, I started getting good. I mean, at first I was, ter I was just terrible. I was using notes, I was um, nervous. Um, I it never occurred to me to try to make you laugh. I mean, that was just, but then people would laugh at things that came out of my mouth and I'd memorize what I just had said. And I think, so I'd incorporate in the next one and the next one and the next one. And I learned to be a decent presenter at that point. And I had a woman say to me at the end of my class, after about nine months, she said, you know, I'm a, an assistant municipal clerk for the city of Englewood, Colorado. We have a conference every year up in Keystone, Colorado. And I think this topic would be great. Is there any way you can take this three hour training that you offer or two and a half hour training and turn it into like 45 minutes or an hour keynote speech? 
And I said, sure, because it's always easy to make something smaller rather than bigger. I said, sure, I can turn it into an hour. I mean, I didn't even know where she was headed. And she said, well, what's your fee? I mean, I thought it was just celebrities that were speakers and got fees. Like you had to be Tony Robbins or I don't know, Magic Johnson. I, it never occurred to me that an ordinary person would get a fee for speaking. So I said, luckily, well, what's your budget? <clears throat> this is back in 1994, 93, long time ago. I was broke. <clears throat> and she said, we have $1,000. <sighs> well, I don't know about you, Neil. And I don't know where you were in 1993 or 94, but $1,000 to me was a huge sum, absolutely enormous for an hour's work, drive to Keystone from Denver. Oh, and you can have a hotel overnight and all this, whatever your gas money. That's when my light bulb went off. And I thought, oh, people get $1,000 an hour to do something that I'm already doing once a month, but I'm doing it for two and a half hours and I could do it for an hour. Oh, I think I'll get on the phone. You know, we didn't have the internet back then and I will sell, sell, sell. And it ultimately became a business. And so I don't, I don't know if I answered your question way too much, but that is how I got into this business. Oh, wow. That's, that's a great story, Deborah. Thank you, Neil. <laughs> yeah. It's a miracle, actually. It's a miracle. Oh, man. That, that's so, that sounds so great to hear. But, you know, I also mentioned in the intro that you wrote a couple of books. So yes. what, was the, what was the motivation for writing your books? The biggest motivation for writing my books is that people wanted to buy my book. I mean, I'd have these audiences. And it, it took about three or four years before the light bulb went off again. They'd say, oh, can I buy your book? I go, oh, I don't have a book. I mean, this went on hundreds. Like I'd have an audience of a thousand and 40 people, 80 people. They'd go, do you have a book? The people that would hire me goes, well, shall we sell your book? Um, afterwards, you do a signing. I, I don't have a book. I mean, it got ridiculous. And, and I still needed money, Neil. Needed money pretty bad. So I thought I need to write a book. So my first book actually... The Fine Art of Small Talk. Um, it didn't look like this when I first wrote it. It, it um, I couldn't get an agent, couldn't get a publisher, all that stuff. And I self-published. And in those days, so that was 2001, <clears throat> self-publishing was really frowned upon. I mean, there was no Amazon yet. There was, it was just trashy people or, or people that weren't recognized self-published. But I self-published knowing that at least I could make, you know, a few bucks at the end of a program. They wanted to buy my book. They wanted my autograph, whether it looked as nice as this or whether it looked like what it used to look like, a self-published book. And, and then I wrote, and well, and then I was discovered and I got a huge book deal. And so those were two books that are for Hachette, are published by Hachette. And then uh, <clears throat> a few years ago, I just, I, I, was, I'm in, I was in a good place, of course, and my kids were raised. And I had always wanted to write a book for teenagers. Um, because I had been this lonely, awkward teenager. And I thought, I really want to write a book to help teenagers break the ice, make friends, talk to a coach, uh, interact with a teacher, or um, go on a job interview and, and be successful. So I, I wrote a book called Beyond Texting, The Fine Art of Face-to-Face -face Communication for Teenagers. And, and that was my third book. And uh, I did that more, I mean, I don't speak to teenagers, uh, but <clears throat> I just... I just did it because I wanted it. I wish I'd had a resource like that when I was a, a young person because I, I went through the library. I read everything I could get my hands on. I would have read that in a second. So wow. three books. How about you? When's your book coming out? 
<laughs> uh, well, funny you mentioned that. I actually did. I self-published the book too a couple of years ago. It's called Teach the Geek to Speak. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I'm sorry I didn't know that. Oh, you know, well, this is about you, Deborah. We're, we're, I'm asking oh, I know, about but you. I, now I feel, but was that process an easy one or a hard one for you? Oh, no. I mean, I, I've never written anything like that before. And then in, in addition to that, I also wrote a children's book. But, but oh. that, that doesn't have anything to do with public speaking. That has, oh, more, to, that has more to do with, with uh, encouraging more children to go into STEM. Oh, so, that's so awesome. I, I got that, too. So you know, yeah, the 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 whole the whole process wasn't wasn't easy. Luckily, I had some people that had been through it before to help me along. So it, w- it wasn't like I was just going in there blind. So that 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 certainly was helpful. So it's, it, sounds, it sounds like everything that you, that you've done, Deborah, up to this point, has kind of been what's the best way to say? It it wasn't planned necessarily, but it was just you saw opportunities and you didn't took them. Like even with the book, you. It, people were asking for the book and then you thought, okay, let me, let me write this book. It wasn't something that you were thinking about. Right. It, it sounds like up, you know, up until this point. And then, you know, you went to, you saw something that Colorado free university about small talk. Well, I'm pretty good at small talk. Let me check this out. And then that branched into something, you know, a, a $1,000 speaking engagement in 1994. I'm, you know, in today's dollars, that'd be, that'd be some good money, I'm sure. And to answer your question, back in 1994, I was in high school. So that's where where I was. A thousand dollars had to be a lot to you too. Oh yeah, I could have bought all the Jordans. (laughs) (laughs) So when it comes to your when it comes to your business now, I assume that your the majority of your business is is speaking and maybe I'm guessing keynotes is part of it. But do you do workshops as well? I mean, what, what what aspects are there to your business? I do both primarily. I mean, the pandemic obviously has impacted that. I've been on a plane twice for two different clients since the pandemic uh, for face-to-face. And I did a face-to-face last week for a leadership summit here in Denver. But otherwise, all my programming, like I did the National Electrical Contractors Association, I did a keynote, you know, virtual keynote. Um, It hasn't been the robust business it it had been for the past 15 to 20 years because of the pandemic. But things are, I think, starting, they're not opening up yet, but they're, I'm, I'm getting booked for the summer. I have a booking in March for Dallas. Um, so yeah, that's all I, I do, workshops and keynotes. And uh, every once in a while, because of the pandemic, I think, I, I do um, coaching now. I, you know, I have a coaching client at, at Google that's coming up this month. And, you know, so that, I didn't do that before, but now that I'm sort of, I don't have to worry about all my travel schedules. I've been able to do a lot of that as well, but that's what I do. Okay. And the the clients that you work with, do they do they book you for for certain things, or do you do you pitch them various ideas that you think they they, they could benefit from? Uh, typically, I'm either they either find me based on search engine optimization. I mean, literally, this Google client looked for a small talk coach, <clears throat> and uh, but I don't, I don't market myself anymore, which sounds really privileged, but it's true. I mean, after 26 years, it's organic. It comes to me and <clears throat> it's either SEO, like I said, or it's referrals. Somebody saw me in another audience or program, or I have clients that use me every year. The Texas Association of School Boards uses me every year for their leaders. They want them to have these skills to interact with superintendents and parents of students. <clears throat> 
So I offer workshops from Van Cleef and Arpel, which is jewelry that's way out of my league, but it's luxury. They use me for their jewelers, their associates who sell jewelry to maybe you, Neil. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> and, and so does NASA and so does, um, as I said, um, I just did Encore Electric Leadership Summit last week. Uh, I'm doing the Women in Food Service in Dallas, their big convention. So typically it's keynotes or workshops and they, they find me. A lot of times speakers bureaus book me, they know who I am. I mean, a, a few know who I am. And if somebody says the word, well, we're looking for somebody that can offer networking skills and or rapport build, relationship building skills, they'll think of me and pitch me. So, I mean, a lot of times they, uh, 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 I, but I don't go out to conventions and try to sell myself to them. A lot of times now there are um, uh, uh, proposals out there that you can fill out, but you know, it's just bureaucracy. So luckily I don't have to do too much of that anymore. That's wonderful. So you've been doing this for, for quite some time now. So yes. can you offer some tips to people who want to get better at or more effective at public speaking? What should they be doing? Here's my best tip. I, at least this is what worked for me. Besides, um, I did not go to Toastmasters. I wish I had only because it's very affordable for anybody. Because, you know, it's so easy for people to give people business advice and go, well, go get a, create a video, go write a book, go do, <clears throat> things cost money. You know, sometimes when you start a business, you don't have money. You, you need to use your own resource. But Toastmasters is reasonable. And you can, you know, call the shots. You can go to the meetings when you can go to the meetings. So I would really recommend it because you're in a safe place. Um, but the other thing I, I highly recommend is doing it. Uh, I, I found my first year of business, I was doing it. I did it for free for a year. I did it for Rotary Clubs. I did it for Kiwanis. I did it for churches and synagogues. I just did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. Um, once, that, once I got that booking, that $1,000 booking and realized that there was, there was a business here, um, I did it for free for a year. I mean, if I got a $500 fee or <clears throat> in those days I charged, I didn't get a thousand all the time. That was a real lucky break. But uh, um, I find the more you do it and if you do it for free, maybe you do a brown bag lunch in your, um, for your company or you do it um, at your fitness club if your program is on you know, stress-free whatever or productivity in the workplace. Maybe you can offer it for free and maybe eight people will come. The more you do it, the more you learn the skill of doing it. Um, there, there's just no better way. You can practice in front of a mirror over and over again, but until you get that human interface, I, I didn't know when I started, I was an, I'm an engineer in my head. I'm a serious gal in my head. And I did not realize I was a skilled improv. I, once, once I had the confidence to interact with the audience, amazing things happened laugh out loud when I could, I knew how to say to a complete stranger certain questions. And I knew I would get one of a range of answers that I could play on. And, but you don't learn that until you interact with an audience. The other thing I would offer to anybody <clears throat> that I think is important just watching other presenters is it's so many lean on PowerPoint as like a crutch instead of as a, a productive resource. I don't use PowerPoint in my programs. I'm not suggesting that anybody can get away with that. I can get away with it. But I am suggesting that don't use it just to find, find your way or to bore your audience. I mean, when you think about someone like yourself, Neil, I mean, you must 
you had a very rigorous education. If I put up a slide with three points on it, you've read it in like one minute. Am I really gonna go, well, let's cover the first point audience. And Neil's, Neil read it like a whole minute ago. He's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. So don't use it as a crutch because it's a huge mistake. Try to be present and people that are dependent on PowerPoint are not present. If you're not present, your audience knows that. Yeah, that's a good point, Deborah. Yeah, absolutely. Being Thank present. You. And well, I'm not going to say it's a bad point. That'd be kind of rude, don't you think? <laughs> well, you know, I would appreciate your feedback, Neil. I mean, I'll take feedback any day. No, no, absolutely. No, absolutely. This was this was this was great, Deborah. You offered Thank some you. great, some great information for people to get better at public speaking. How can people get in touch with you? They can go to my website. Thanks for asking, Neil. Deborah Fine, D-E-B-R-A-F-I-N-E.com. And there's um they're welcome to, of course, email me. My phone number's there. You don't have to fill out a form to get it because I hate that too. Just it's right there. And all the information about me, about my books, about anything. And you know what I appreciate the most about this conversation? I, I'd never asked you what exactly what this would be about is typically it's about, you know, skills. You know, what are some conversation skills or some networking skills? And I don't remember the last time somebody asked me about how did you get this started? And so it sort of made my day, Neil, because it's an old story now for me that I don't tell because, you know, I know it. I don't need to regurgitate it. And I don't, I'm, I'm more interested in other people. But anyway, so thank you for your interest in my background. Oh, no question. I mean, when I first started this, this YouTube channel, this podcast, that I, I wasn't something that I was really thinking about. But then when I went, I started, I mean, like, you know, continued on with it and just hearing people's stories, especially the people like yourself who started off perhaps as an engineer and then went off and did something else, like become a speaker. You know, you don't hear that every day. So it's always right. kind of interesting to kind of see that progression of how you went from one place to the other. Because oftentimes, especially, you know, if you work in STEM, you might think that, you know, you start off as an engineer and that's what you're supposed to do for, you know, your entire, you know, working life. But that's not necessarily the case. And you're proof of that. I, I am. And you are too, Neil. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> it's great to meet you. And I really enjoy your, um, I don't know, your uh, spirit. It's very warm. Thank you. Thank you. I like, I like that. I like my, that's, that's, a great, that's a great start to my week. <laughs> oh, great. Me too. Thank you. Well, everybody, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek Interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. Consider checking out the online public speaking course, Teach the Geek to Speak. You can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Then I also have an excuse assessment form. It, it helps it prioritizing solutions to excuses. And you can learn more about that at download.teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Deborah. Thank you, Neil. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.